everyone. Welcome to a brand new episode of Exploit It. I'm Alexis Chowski. I'm Kevin Daly. And this week we are talking about Streets of Fire, 1984, directed by Walter Hill. I'll be coming for her, and I'll be coming for you too. Sure you will, and I'll be waiting. You are about to enter a world unlike any you've ever seen before. Where rock and roll is king. The only law is a loaded gun. Where the beautiful. Stand see the show, it's really good. The brutal. I want Tom Cody. And the brave all meet. From now on, it's for real. In Streets of Fire. You're lying in your bed and on a Saturday night. You're sweating buckets and it's not even hard. But your brain has got the message and it's sending it out to Universal Pictures presents Michael Paré, Diane Lane, Rick Moranis, and Amy Madigan in a Walter Hill film, Streets of Fire. Yeah, Walter Hill is somebody we'll probably be visiting again, most definitely when we do The Warriors. Right. But he directed a lot of stuff. Uh, Yeah, he did. He did Streets of Fire right after 48 Hours, because they were trying to really cash in on the success of 48 Hours, because they're like, Paramount's hot for us right now, let's let's make another movie, quick. Walter Hill's like, oh, well, I have this idea for a dream movie that has all of the things that I like. It has cars and fighting and kissing in the rain and rock and roll. It's like, let me make this really self-indulgent movie. <laughs> and he did. Um, cause Paramount's like, well, 48 hours was so awesome. So yeah, we'll let you do this. And then it came out and flopped and they're like, fuck you. Now you're making Brewster's millions for us. That's right. Sometimes you, uh, um, uh, but yeah, sorry. I don't think he regrets it, you know? <laughs> well, I, I will give it this. It is unique. It is unique. Um, so the film itself, well, like we were just talking about Willem Dafoe. Who's in this movie? Yes. The trailer doesn't mention him at all. Yeah, because he's not a star yet. Like yeah. uh, Diane he, Lane and Rick Moranis were stars. Amy Madigan. <laughs> yeah, Will Defoe. It was still a couple years away from like Platoon and uh, the Last Temptation of Christ and stuff. So Rick Will Defoe was not Will Defoe yet. And it's also produced by Joel Silver, who very well known producer after Forty Eight Hours. And Brewster's Millions. He went on to do a bunch of movies. 
that we'll, we'll be looking produced at. Produced one of my one of my favorite movies of all time with Predator, Predator, and Predator Two. Yep, Hudson Hawk, the movie I like that no one else does for some reason. Die Hard movies and yeah, the, I mean uh, his yeah, the Lethal Weapon movies. Yeah, a very uh, a very prolific producer who has produced many good films. He's got an eye for for fun movies. Yep, he's producing the upcoming Roadhouse remake. <laughs> Roadhouse, I did not know that was a thing that was happening. Yeah, but this movie, it starts with, you know, a title card telling you that once upon, like, another time in another place, and that Streets of Fire is a, quote, a rock and roll fable. Yeah, kind of. And so we get all these quick shots that set the environment for this... It's like the 1950s, but it's Filtered dark. through the lens of the 80s. It's like cyberpunk, but if cyberpunk had like a 1950s vibe to it. Yeah. Um, it's really weird, it, and I kind of dug it, because it so, the setting is so unique. It does have a very interesting feel. It is unique, yeah. Um, like the streets always steaming. Yeah, it's just got that, like, you know, we've discussed this before, like, every movie in the 80s is set at night with, like, neon and shit. Yeah. Like, this is that. The the Wikipedia entry describes it as neo-noir, and yeah, I think that's about right. There's only, like, two scenes that take place in the day. Yeah. And this entire movie, it basically, it takes place in an underpass. No matter where they are, they're under a fucking bridge. <laughs> that's right. And so, um... There's this show that's co- happening at the, the theater with Ellen Aim and the attackers. Uh, filmed inside the wheelchair. Yep. And, you know, these cops? I have been there. Oh, really? Yeah, it's a nice venue. I've been to most of those uh, Sunset Strip uh, rock joints in my life. The Palladium the most, but I've been to the wheelchair, I've been to Whiskey Go-Go, I've been to... Yeah. I mean, I live here and I go see rock shows. I mean... Well, this movie, it takes <laughs> place in a place called Richmond. Yeah, it's not, like I said, it, it's definitely got its own vibe. This is not like your normal, it's not set in New York or anything like yeah. that. It's, just, it's got this, like, everything's a district. They refer to them as district. It definitely has that, like, post-80s cyberpunk sort of vibe yeah. to it, where everything is, like, dystopian. And they always refer to it as the Richmond. Yeah, because it's a Richmond district. Yeah. It's not really a city, it's part of something else that it never uh they never go any further into really other than there's multiple districts and whatever dystopia this is so in the theater um we also meet billy fish played by rick moranis he's the manager for ellen aim this is like hyper capitalist dick like i've never seen rick moranis play rick moranis play a character like this it's bizarre and he's so overconfident usually rick moranis plays like kind of like weak-willed timid characters no, no, this character's completely off-type for Rick Moranis, Yeah, I was kind of, kind of impressed and annoyed, but also, that was the point, so... And he's not happy about this concert in Ellen Ames' hometown. No, because apparently <laughs> Richmond is a shithole. Yeah, and this is like a charity concert. He's like, we could have made money. Not one of these people has a pot to piss in. Yeah, it's just, it, it, again, it feels very, very 80s. And then the lights go down, we get the get person saying, Oh, returning to her hometown for one night only, it's Ellen Aim and the Attackers. And we get Ellen, played by Diane Lane, and we get our first big fucking musical number. Yeah, because this is, it definitely has, it is definitely a rock opera. Yep. And the song is called Nowhere Fast, and it's written by Jim Steinman. And this song is just pure Steinman. If you yeah, it's a, it's a fucking meatloaf song. It, it is. 
Uh, one thing that gets me has their performing because she's got the the drummer, the pianist, a guitarist, and a bassist. The bassist kind of looks like Andrew Garfield too. Kept throwing me off. <laughs> I'm like, I don't think he was born yet. <laughs> I don't think so either. But the guitarist, there's not a whole lot of guitar in the song. There's a few riffs throughout, but it's mostly just the melodies carried by piano. Right. But this guitarist is. It's yeah. fucking Waylon. He's going to town on this guitar, and there's just like no guitar sound. Yeah. Well. Uh, and then other times it's playing like a, a more rock riff that's like dun 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 dun, and his not strumming that at all. Yeah. The uh, I wish they would get real musicians to play in movies with bands, or but at least teach. They did get the real musicians. The. Uh, they formed a band called Fire Inc. to record the, the music, and the people performing it aren't the actual people who played it. They're just doing a terrible job faking it. I guess it's hard to fake it, but just play the song, like, and not have it plugged in? Yep. And while she's performing, and she's just singing the hell out of this song. This song is awesome, by the way. It's good. I mean, if you if you like those bombastic you know, Bonnie Tyler and love kind of songs, then the song's a fucking banger. What can I say? Yeah. We see that a biker gang is coming into town and going to the show. We also focus on, like, one fangirl that's singing along, and we don't know who she is yet, but we know that she's somebody because we keep going back to her. Um, I got here that Ellen does a seizure dance and, like, oh my god, is she okay? But then she stops and starts fist bumping. I'm like, oh, that was that was supposed to be dancing. Oh, okay. <laughs> Yeah, uh, you know it's it's definitely the crowd definitely feels like they're vibing. So, I mean, it's good. And it's a good performance. Yep, as they're wrapping up the song, we you know the the light focuses on the head of the biker gang, dude named Raven Shattuck, played by such a young Willem Dafoe. I know it's like <laughs> disturbingly young Willem Dafoe. And the song ends, and he just screams now, and his gang rushes the stage. They beat the shit out of the band. He grabs and just kidnaps Ellen. Yeah, and at this point you go, yeah, this is definitely some sort of weird dystopia where the cops are completely inept. <laughs> yeah. A uh, random guy, played by Bill Paxton. Yeah, he has a name. What is his name? Um. Oh, I have it later on when he actually has, like, scenes. It's Clyde. Yeah. Clyde. Clyde. And yeah, he's got, he actually he actually is in the movie more than just this one scene. Yeah, he's got the the most ridiculous like pompadour. I know it's terrible. And he just runs up under the stage where this biker gang is beating the shit out of the uh, the attackers who don't live up to their name. Right, the attackers are are just getting whooped on. And this guy just runs up, Bill Pax, and he's like, "You shouldn't be doing this." And then he gets his ass kicked too. Right, completely. Uh... Yeah, completely outmatched. And they kidnap Ellen, but then they just, just keep on their chaos and just fuck terrorize this this neighborhood. Yeah, it's got that kind of a western vibe to it. Like, oh, yeah, it really, really does. In. They're smashing windows. They're assaulting women. Some dude is just tied to the back of a bike and being dragged around. People stampeded and cattle raped. Yeah, people are just running around screaming. The cops show up, and uh, Raven just shouts, Get up! And they, they take out the cops. And it's playing this, like, rockabilly music the whole time. <laughs> Never mind that shit. Here comes Raven. <laughs> yeah. And then they just fuck right off with Ellen. 
And we get that yep. poor pan- fangirl who's sad. She's upset about this. And so she writes this message to, to Tom Cody telling him to come home. And that's when we see Tom Cody played by Michael Pere. Who- yeah, this is an interesting, interesting performance. Yeah, it's very interesting, especially um, because they wanted him to be like the next Steve McQueen. Like, this is the actor we found that's going to be the next big star. He's not very good. In fact, he's had a successful career in nothing but B-movies. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. It's just a weird, it's a weird character. It is. He doesn't have a lot of backstory or development. He just kind of like, the character isn't character isn't super charismatic, right? It's supposed to be a noir film, right? Usually your noir protagonist, he's got that, like, doesn't give a shit vibe, you know, he operates outside the law and all that stuff, but he doesn't have the charisma of something like, even like Harrison Ford and, and Blade Runner, or Humphrey Bogart in classic noir films like uh, Maltese Falcon. He's just kind of just kind of a redneck ex-soldier. And that's kind of all he is for the whole movie. Yeah. So he uh he goes to the diner, which is run by that fangirl, and we learn her name is Reva Cody. She's his sister. And he's just chilling there waiting for her to notice. And we see this gang drive into town. Another gang. They're called the Roadmasters. Says so on their fucking trench coats. Just the lamest gang name ever. They, they throw in the, you know, the, the doors and they're like, hey, we're... We're the Roadmasters. We're a bad gang. And um, Tom Cody decides, like, okay, I'll, I'll fuck with ya. <laughs> yeah. And he plays, he does, like, this thing with a knife where he shows off. And then he beats the shit out of them. That's right. And he throws them away and makes them run away. And he keeps their car. And he, he tells his sister, he's like, what do you think of my new car? Somebody just keeps, left it here. Keeps the car the entire movie. <laughs> he does. The car, by the way, is a 1950 Mercury convertible. It is quite nice. Yes. You've seen this car before. Yeah. This exact same car. Not just the same model. The exact same car. Oh, what was it in? It was in Greece. Oh, okay. And they yeah. re- repainted it for this movie. Then they kind of beat it up to have it play a, a like a beater in the movie Used Cars. Huh. And then it went to some private collector in Huntington Beach for several years before... And he restored it and took it to auction in Scottsdale in, like, 2014 or something. Like, I really researched the hell out of this movie. Yeah. It, 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 the question is, is it in Jay Leno's garage now? Probably not. Because <laughs> Jay Leno owns, like, every car ever. And um, so, Riva informs Tom, like, oh, yeah, Ellen Aim came into town and got kidnapped by this gang called the Bombers. They stole Ellen. Which is a lame name and not quite as lame as the Roadmasters. Yeah. And um, at first Tom's like, oh, I don't care. She's, she's just my ex. I, you know, I fuck her. And they have the line like, Ellen wasn't like all those other tramps he ran around with. Yeah, but I'd like the tramps. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's, uh, he, he, yeah. <laughs> and we learned that she's actually living with Billy Fish. Yeah, they're like, they're like a couple. And it's very it's weird. weird. And so and all I can think of is, don't you? That's like that relationship. It is! Because she's like way too good for him. That's right. And he's so demanding and assumes like, I'm a big tough man because I dated this sexy lady. But anyway, go ahead. Right. No, I was just saying, I like Rick Moranis too, but man, this character is something. He is. This character is awful. 
So they, uh, we have a random scene where Tom Cody gets, like, pulled over by the cops that are like, Hey, hey, Tom Cody, what are you doing back in town? You should get the fuck out of town. Everyone hates you. You know, and they just hassle him. And so he goes to the bar where we, we get a better introduction of the bartender, Clyde, played by Bill Paxton, with his fucking hair. Yeah, it's it's interesting because ostensibly it's kind of got that, like, 50s vibe to it, but he's dressed like he's straight up in the 80s, the Pompadour. And I guess Clyde feels intimidated by Tom Cody's masculinity, so he, he has to up his masculinity and just randomly starts harassing this woman at the bar. Like, well, they, if they, I guess they hang, hang out together. That was, what was implied. They used to, like, get into shit together. But Tom is much cooler than him. Yeah, so Clyde's just like, hey, lady, you've had too much today. You probably can't even pay, you know? And this, this woman. Oh, she, she's dressed like a trucker, by the way. Yes, and it stays that way the whole movie. She just reaches over and knocks Clyde out with, like, one fucking punch. And climbs over the bar, asks Tom, like, what, what's your favorite drink? It's like tequila. She just grabs the bottle and goes, let's go. <laughs> and we find out her name is McCoy. She's a mechanic and a former soldier. And questionable sexuality. Yeah. I feel like it was implied she was a lesbian. Yeah. You know, you're not my type. That sort of stuff, the interaction she has. Uh-huh. But she mentions having, like, boyfriends in the past. That doesn't mean anything, but it's definitely, yeah, am- am- ambiguous sexuality. And so she's like, I need a place to crash. You got an extra bed? It's like, you could sleep on my sister's couch, I guess. And we learned that McCoy carries, like, all these fucking guns on her all the time. That she's just this badass woman. And she's packing heat constantly. Yeah. So Tom pulls a picture out of his ball, this like old faded black and white picture of Ellen that fades into a, a flashback that's also in black and white, but it's it's not a very enlightening flashback. She just sings no. a song. She sings this yeah. fucking Tom Petty song. <laughs> yeah, I I uh I didn't even remember that scene. I, don't even, I didn't even note anything about it. Yeah, <laughs> That's how forgettable it was. She just sings this Tom Petty song, and then the movie just goes back to the present. Like, there's no purpose for this flashback. But it inspires Tom Cody. He's like, okay, I've decided to rescue Ellen. And so he goes to a chop shop and buys a shit ton of illegal guns. Yeah, he got them guns like Chingy. And... He he drives his, his fucking awesome 50, 1950 Mercury convertible over to meet Billy Fish. And he's like, I'll save Ellen for you. You're going to pay me $10,000. Because he needs Billy to guide him through the Battery, which is another district. Yep. Um, Because I guess Billy Fish grew up there. Yep. And he used to book there at the, the shitty dive bars and stuff before he, he got out. Yeah. And uh, McCoy's like, I'm going along too. I need, I, I just, I'm bored and need a job. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. And Tom's cool with it, but Billy's like, I don't want no skirt. He keeps calling her a skirt because he's a misogynist from the 1950s. From the 1950s, right? They're trying to really reinforce that the vibe here is 1950s. Like when she tries to talk, he goes, "Cut it, skirt! I ain't paying any extra for you to take some cutie pie along for company." <laughs> Yeah, they're definitely like, ha it's the 50s, guys. We got the 50s vibe here. <laughs> it's a little hard on that. <laughs> I like, know. We get it. We see the microphones. We see the cars. We see the greasers. We know where you're at. We know you're, you're, where the settings the settings vibe is. It's fine. You don't need to keep pushing it. And um, it's one of the few scenes that takes place during the day. Yep. Um, and they're driving. It's like, we're going to drive to the battery. 
There's a fun bit of dialogue between McCoy and Billy where he's like, she says, what's more pathetic, the way you talk or the way you dress? And he just goes, my clothes are worth more than what you make in a year. <laughs> like, this character's awful. So they start under an overpass. They drive all day until it's night and they're still under an overpass. Only they're just in like some dead neighborhood. And Billy's like, go there, go under, go under the bridge. Where my note's like, this whole movie's under a fucking bridge. Where? You know, you don't see any, like, nature in this movie. No. I, I'm, just to, like, I'm, just, I'm just trying to piece together the nature of this world. I feel like we have an entire planet that's urban. Like, just a, a city planet, like Coruscant. And These Star, are the, the slums of Coruscant. <laughs> yeah, something like that, essentially. You know, like, they were just straight up in urban sprawl, like, planetary urban sprawl. And, um, so they learned that the the biker gang hangs out at a bar called Torchies, and it's like right next to this big factory that just makes steam. <laughs> it's the steam factory. Also under an overpass. <laughs> and so we see the gang in here, and there's this, uh, this terrible bar. It's like, it looks like it's at a loading dock. <laughs> I, the whole world's a loading dock, though. <laughs> and they, they refer honest. to this as the main drag. <laughs> and like, in back and forth in front, there's this, uh, the biker gang are just doing tricks while most of them are inside dancing to this jazz music. Looks like a scene out of Escape from L.A. or Escape from New York or some <laughs> shit. And in the bar, there's this dancer on the table, this very androgynous dancer. Yeah, I kind of appreciated that. Yeah, like I could not tell what gender this dancer was. Yeah. Even when they took their shirt off and yeah. bare chestable they're wearing like a full body fishnet, I still could not tell what gender this was. Kind of cool. Looking at the thong, trying to find anything, and I did the research and found out. So this dancer, she is this French dancer and choreographer named Marine Jahan, and she was actually Jennifer Beale's body double for Flashdance. Oh, no kidding. Yeah, but we see a lot of this dancer just spaz dancing to jazz music. And Raven is wearing these fucking leather overalls. I have no idea. This outfit might be the worst outfit we've seen in any of the movies we've watched for the show. Yeah, just leather overalls. And they keep- And nothing else. <laughs> nothing. Well, he's got shoes, but that's it. <laughs> no shirt. And everyone's intimidated by him, but it, he looks fucking ridiculous in leather overalls. But it is Willem Dafoe, so he just naturally looks scary and intimidating. <laughs> And they keep Ellen tied to a bed above this bar. Yeah, this is a... Yeah, I, I was about to reach through the computer and try to strangle Alexis again for putting me in once another, another <laughs> and movie. There's no backstory for, like, why he kidnapped her. Like, he didn't know her or anything. He just thought she was pretty. And he's like, I want the pretty girl. Take her for yeah. me. And yep. it's it's really gross. Yeah. Luckily, we don't get too much of this. Yeah, we don't. We get uh, McCoy and Billy and Tom trying to find torches, and some crazy hobo is like, I'll help you out. Give me some money. And they do, and he goes, they're at a bar called Torchies. <laughs> I know. And Billy Fish is like, we already fucking know that. We, we, we know where Torchies is. Fuck off, you hobo. <laughs> <laughs> Cody was just trying to get him to have to cough up, cough up a bunch more money. And so McCoy just rushes into the, the bar and goes into this poker game and pulls out a gun. And Defoe gives just the strangest expression. He's, like, got this cigarette in his mouth and he, like, lifts one eyebrow. Like, the fuck? 
while Cody is going around, Tom Cody's going around outside getting ready to, like, he's like, I'm going to snipe all the bikers. Here I go killing again. Yep. He says he doesn't have to kill anyone. The first thing he does is he shoots a tank on a bike and incinerates the rider. And he keeps doing that. He's out there just exploding bikes with people on them. <laughs> and um, he runs in and grabs Ellen and runs out. Billy tells him, meet me at the underpass. Again, I put the whole fucking movie as an underpass. <laughs> which, which one? So, Tom, he beats up some bikers and then he Michael Bays the bar. That's right. It does. Like, no reason to blow up the bar, dude. You just needed to rescue Ellen. You are blowing up. Psychopath. It's a psychopath, that's why. And um, Raven comes out. He's like, ah, I found somebody that likes it rough as I do. What's your name, Tom? Well, I'll be coming for you, Tom. We'll meet again someday. It's like Ichi the Killer is like he's found his he's found his frenemy. Yeah, I have found my match. It is it's actually that that shot's cool though because he's like stepping through the fire and stuff. I like I like that shot. It is a good shot. There's a scene here where they're on the train, all of them. And McCoy keeps reminding Billy that, you know, Tom and Ellen used to date. Tom and Ellen used to date. Oh, yeah, McCoy just wants to stir this shit. Just loves it. Loves fucking with them. And it disappoints her that Tom and Ellen don't get along at all. And um, then we get this bizarre fucking just music video out of nowhere. As Ellen sings Sorcerer, this Stevie Nicks song. and like Yeah, I'd forgotten about that, too. It's just neon and, you know, streets, and she's singing this song, and then we get them walking, and we get this super fan that runs up. It's like, hey, you're Ellen Aim, I know you! And this super fan, her name is Baby Doll, by the way, and she's E.G. Daly. Yep. <laughs> the voice of Tommy Pickles and Buttercup from Powerpuff Girls. I know, it's literally Buttercup from Powerpuff Girls. Yeah. Very weird. And she decides to just join their gang. Like, nobody invites her She's just like, I'm part of your gang now. They, they'd gotten rid of the convertible, so they're like, we need a new new wheels, so let's steal this fucking bus. Yeah. Yep. And the bus obviously has has this band on it, like this Motown band. These black guys called the Sorrells. Yep. And uh, sunglasses in the van- at night, of course. In the bus. <laughs> in the bus, as one does. Um, there's a scene where Baby Doll's trying to make conversation with Ellen about, like, wow, you know, your music is great. She goes, I don't write it. Yeah, I love this scene. Yeah, but you sing it. Yeah, yeah, I guess I do. Don't you make it your own when you sing it? I don't know. It's just fucking music, girl. <laughs> yeah, basically, Billy buys it or steals it or whatever. He doesn't care. Yeah, she's it's like, yeah, you tell me, so you saw my sing it. It's fuck whatever, kid. <laughs> So I would I would like to point out now I don't I can't remember which of the characters is which in the Sorrells but one of them is played by Grand Bush Grand L Bush who uh, we uh, is a uh, exploited alum he was Balrog in Street Fighter ah he was he <laughs> and go ahead yes. and we also have so we have uh, McKetley Williamson who played BJ. Was yeah. none other than Bubba himself from Forrest Gump. Oh wow! I didn't even recognize him. So we have Bubba and and fucking Balrog singing doo wop in this movie. Yeah, pretty great. Oh, and we have Robert Townsend is the other one who um he's the director of Meteor Man. 
Ah, uh, Meteor Man. Yeah, we might see his work later. Meteor Man and Baps. <laughs> yeah, I've never seen Baps. Me neither, but I saw an ad for it once, like when it was airing on Comedy Central, and Baps had some, it was an acronym for something, and I was like, that's what it is? Well, that's fucking stupid. And I never watched it. <laughs> yeah. He directed Eddie Murphy Raw, though. Yep. Yeah. I guess Which that's pretty cool. how we got his way into the the, the Meteor Man gig. <laughs> but anyway, so the uh, the cops pull over this bus because there's a roadblock. And Billy's like, oh, I got this. I got this. Here, I'm going to buy off the cops. And he just hands the cops all this money. And he's like, oh, it's good to see there's still some integrity on the for- force. Because the cops in this district are, are known for being bribable. And then the cops are like, yeah, it's just a bus full of spade musicians, which the Sorrells are like, hey! <laughs> and um, again, we're using, we're using 50s racial slurs. Yeah, so the, the Sorrells get all mad, and Cody and McCoy come out with guns and just blast all the cops away. Yeah, boring conversation anyway. <laughs> yeah, and they just like, blow up all the racist cops' cars. And they're like, now we have to dump the bus. Let's take the train now. And the poor Sorrells are like, we've lost everything. Everything. All our, all our clothes. All our- we were supposed to do a gig. We'll never get there. Everything we owned was on that bus. Who the fuck are you people? Um, even though they tried to sing a song, but, you know, now they're they're just really depressed. and They're just being dragged along with this ever-growing gang. Because Baby Doll's still hanging out with them. Yep. Ellen and Billy try to have a conversation. And Ellen's like, I hate that you saved me for money. Fuck you, Tom Cody. And she gets all cozy with Billy Fish just to spite them. Despite everyone. And of course, Billy's got his arm around her. He's like, this is my girlfriend, everybody. My girlfriend. I kiss her. Yeah. He's making a big show out of it. Yeah, he is. He's a peacock. He is. And it's insufferable. Um... Rick Moranis plays this character perfectly, somehow. He does. <laughs> they He's sh- usually, usually likable, even in the villain role. Uh, Rick Moranis is playing a real awful character and doing it extraordinarily well. Yeah. So they, they get back to the Richmond, and it's daytime. It's one of the few scenes that's in the daytimes. And the whole town gathers around the diner to say hi to Ellen, who does not give a shit about them. This woman is an absolute bitch to everybody. Yeah. She's like, oh, I have fans, whatever, I'm going to the hotel. And the bombers have made it to town, too. And so they, they get the cops, and they're like, I'm going to kill Tom Cody. You know, I'm nail his head to the sidewalk. And the cops are like, whatever, dude. <laughs> and, like, the f- cops even go up to Tom Cody, and they're like, yeah, the, the, the bombers are back. They're, they're pieces of shit, so we'd, we'd like you to leave so we can arrest them. <laughs> Uh, we get it's, it's basically the movie's just like marking time at this point because we know that there's a big show off going to happen, but right. instead of going to it, it just gives us a bunch of bullshit. We get the cliche Shay shit right where he goes, "Oh, I, you know, here's the money back. You know, just here's I'm just going to take the money I owe McCoy." And he finds the girl. The girl runs out. They make out in the rain. End up fucking. You know, whatever. Yeah, there's a line where he goes to get the money from Billy, where he sees Baby Doll there, and he's like. Are you still hanging out here? And she's like, "You're right." And then she leaves, never to be seen again. And I'm like, "It's like I really did not know what to do with this like break in the movie." Yeah, 
and so he says, like, I'm just taking this thousand dollars for McCoy, you can keep the rest, which I guess totally changes Ellen, which is why they have that big-ass kiss in the rain. I mean, it's there because this is a self-indulgent film, and the writer liked that sort of shit. Yeah, and they're in bed together, they're just soaking wet, and she's like, let's run away together, and he's like, no, no I, I just like fucking you, I don't love you, <laughs> kind of thing. It's like, I can't be, I can't be your sidekick, Ellen. Yeah, I don't carry guitars. And so it's morning again, and the bombers show up. Like, they've blocked off the whole town. They've barricaded this town. There's, like, some factory on fire somewhere. And they're like, oh, yeah, that's the bombers doing that to keep everyone into town. And Raven shows up, and he summons his gang with an air horn. And his big, massive gang, which is actually a lot of, a lot of it was members of biker clubs in L.A. at the time. Cool. They all show up, but we don't get big giant... The fight here, the show-off is so anticlimactic. Like, the police show up, and they're like, we're gonna arrest you. And Bill, uh, Billy's... Uh, not Billy. Raven is like, no, you're not. And the cops just go, oh, we failed. <laughs> they're just like, oh. Well, the cops don't have quite enough guns, because all of the bikers show up with their guns. Yeah. And then Cody shows up. Yeah, Cody shows rest- up with the whole town. Yeah, the rest of the town shows up with their guns. <laughs> So Billy and, it's like a sta- standoff. So Billy and Raven have a fight. With, they have a Maddox fight. <laughs> yeah, they bring out some Maddox randomly. <laughs> and they, they go at each other and they, you know, that's it. This is the climax. They just swing these at each other a couple times, drop them, and then Tom knocks out Cody. And everyone's like, yay, you win! And yeah, the- Tom beats the shit out of Raven. Like, it's, it's pretty bad. And the gang, the biker gang just fucks right off. So we get the big concert, like they're doing concert part two now. And the Sorrells perform this song called I Can Dream About You by Dan Hartman. It um it was the only like hit off this soundtrack because it was written for the movie. But pretty good. Yeah, it became a big hit. This thing is like a, a Walmart top forty. When I worked at Walmart I'd hear this song fucking three times a day. Huh. Yeah, because it's that, like, mellow-ass 80s rock that, that uh, white people would listen to when they thought all Hollow Notes had too much color. Know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I like this song. It's a fine song. And they perform it, and then uh, they, do, they do a moonwalk. Yeah, that was cool. And Fitch is like, this is my next new band. We're going to make lots of money together. Between Ellen and the Sorrells, I'm the greatest music manager in the world. And Ellen's getting ready to go on, and... Cody's like, yeah, I'm going to be leaving. But if you ever get kidnapped again, I'll show up. Yeah, but, you know, we can't be together. <laughs> Few white snakes, here I go again. Yeah. And so they- no, not actually in the movie, but that is pretty much what we, uh, what we get here. Yeah. And he tells Billy, he's like, hey, you, you treat her good. And, and Billy's like, fine with it now. He's like, yeah, she needs me. She loves you, but I'm her boyfriend now, okay? And they're like, yeah, okay, Billy. Yeah, that's good. You know, it's like they suddenly no more bad blood. <laughs> so we get yeah, El- works. Ellen Ames' big fucking musical number that ends the movie, which is called Tonight is What It Means to Be Young. And it's a Steinman song that just keeps building and building and building. And every time you think, okay, this is the big climax, it builds more. This song doesn't fucking end. <laughs> I mean, how long is uh, 
how long is um, I'll do anything for love? But I mean, it's another Steinman song, and it's like, isn't that song like eight minutes long? Like- yeah, and it just keeps building. Like you keep thinking, oh, this is the the big peak of the song, but then it keeps getting more. I mean, that's kind of his bag, right? Like Steinman's thing, where he just keeps like, it's <laughs> there's nowhere to go but up. And the lyrics are so fucking stupid in this song. She's like, well, if I can't have an angel, I'll have a boy, because the boy is the next best thing to an angel. And I'm not an angel, but I'm a girl, and that girl should be with the boy. You know, I'm like, what are these fucking lyrics? beginning of the song is like, ooh, Fabio's theme song. Yeah. Total, Total Eclipse of the Heart is seven minutes long. I'm looking up this time. Because I'm telling you, these are like, this is his... That's Diamond's uh, bag. Yeah, he's like, holding out for a hero is like six minutes and twenty seconds. I would do anything for love, but I won't do that is, uh, let me see. It's gonna start playing the video. Hold on. Seven minutes and forty seconds. Yeah, that's what I'm telling you. It's like this is just kind of his bag, right? Like he just makes these long ass songs that just keep going up and up. There's no day to watch, just more and more and more. Yeah. And that's how this is because then the band comes out and they're singing, I'm like, Okay, so this is the song now. And um they do a, a verse and then the Sorrells come out and they start dancing and singing along to him like, okay, this is the song. But it just keeps fucking going. It's still going on. To this day. <laughs> to this day, only it just it keeps adding. So now she's like singing with a, like a orchestra of 5,000 people and there's 300 backup dancers that just keep joining. Because after the first verse, the lyrics are pretty much just the same thing over and over of, tonight is what it means to be young. Yeah. And it just keeps doing that, just more and more epic. And um, so Cody finally leaves. He he, I guess he gets bored with this song after the the tenth reprise, you know. Yeah, I would, I would too. Yeah, and McCoy comes in with that uh that convertible. She's like, "Do you like my new ride? Somebody just left it around." <laughs> yep. You need some company? He's like, "Sure, let's drive around together." And that's that's the end. It's like let's go. Let's just go be mercenaries together. Yeah, and it just keeps playing that that Steinman song on the way out. And then we get a then we get a badass fix song in the credits, which is the best song in the movie. Yes, but I'm biased because I like the fix. Okay, so apparently tonight is what it means to be young. It's only six minutes and fifty eight seconds. Nowhere oh, fast is six minutes, and those are the longest songs in the movie. It's just Steinman just likes to fucking write these seven minute <laughs> operatic fucking songs. Yeah. It's, I mean, they're fun, but they are long. It's an interesting movie. It's very unique. I think that they missed, uh, but I really appreciate that they tried something different. It's like, we're going to do this like neo-noir, but we're going to set it in the, in the 50s. We're going to have this big ro- modern-style rock show, because that's what it is. But they're going to dress like it's the 50s. We're going to have that like 40s and 50s-style microphone. And yeah. it's just like this... like anachronistic combination of modern and retro and it's kind of cool and the cast is kind of cool but it just never gels together it kind of spins its wheels for a while at the beginning of the third act and just peters out it's yeah 
it doesn't really fit. It doesn't work. You're right. And it's unfortunate because it could have been it could have been great. I mean, it's but I again, you know, I'd rather uh, somebody take a shot at doing something interesting and fail than just keep doing the same shit over and over again because it's successful. So I appreciate it. I you know I wouldn't I don't I didn't really like it, but I appreciated the attempt. Yeah, there is a sequel. We we may or may not watch it. I've heard it's just completely awful. Yeah, isn't it Albert Pune? Yes, it's Albert Pune. Yeah, it has the original cast too, right? Like. It's like unofficial, but it's the original cast with the character names, so it's like an actual sequel. Yeah, you've got Michael Perez, Tom Cody, same girl playing Reva. That's about it. You have somebody else playing Ellen. There is an Ellen Aim. There is a McCoy, but they're different actors. There is somebody Still- playing Baby Doll, who's apparently named Nicholas. So we go from Tommy Pickles to just just a full on just dude. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah, I think we ha- we'll have to uh, touch on that one eventually. I don't know if there's any way to avoid that. Yeah, we will have to eventually. Especially, especially given the director. Now, would you rather have the uh, 5 p.m. donut shop coffee or watch Streets of Fire? Sorry to say I'll take the, the coffee. I, I appreciate the effort, but I really have no interest in watching this film again, so I'll drink the coffee. I'll take the, the coffee with the soundtrack. I won't watch the movie, but I, I, I still dig the yeah. soundtrack. soundtrack's good. I will give it. Yeah, it just it just a slight miss. I mean, they a couple of tweaks, maybe a, a better lead and uh, with a little more charisma. And I could have word worked. Yeah, that would have been a good but, role for Kurt Russell. Kurt Russell would have changed that whole fucking movie. Yeah, yeah, but he 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 made a couple of more fun movies in kind of the same style. <laughs> yeah, the escape movies. He made the escape which, movies, which were just kind of better variants. But I, again, I really do appreciate the unique. I, I would love to see somebody try it again with that same sort of like crossing the kind of 80s capitalist dystopia vibes with the 50s. Because like, that's an interesting juxtaposition when you think about it. I was just, my wife sent me a TikTok uh, about cycles, 80 year cycles in history. Uh-huh. And I don't know if it was based on a book or something. Uh, they have like a high point at the uh, immediately following a crisis. And then every 20 years, it kind of like deteriorates in reactions and then it's another crisis and back to that that peak again and following world war ii you have this like peak oh yeah you had the the, 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 the 50s with the the boomer you yeah. know the 50s and then were by, very uh yeah optimistic and and like you know like oh the, you know the world is great because you just come off this you know massive war by the 80s, things have deteriorated quite a bit, and so there's a juxtaposition between the optimism of the 50s and the pessimism and dystopia of viewpoints of the 80s, and I like the I like that clash. It's just yeah. the movie itself didn't work, but I would love to see somebody try that setting, that type of setting again. Yeah, because we went from the, the prosperous 50s to the, the really rough 60s, and if you think about it now, we had the really like prosperous 90s following the greed of the 80s. Yeah, it's. It, it, I definitely would. I definitely appreciate would appreciate that uh, that attempt. I think it's kind of an interesting. It is an interesting, interesting setting. I, I do appreciate it. I appreciate the thought behind it. It doesn't quite work, but you know, I I'm not mad at having to watch having watched this movie. I'm no. glad I watched it, and I uh, I appreciate what they did. So kudos for attempting something cool. Now this movie did not have as much driving as I would think for a movie called Streets of Fire. So I paired it with our bonus episode being a movie about cars. Um, which is a lot more driving. Which is a lot more driving. So it's an odd pairing, 
because I thought, oh, Streets of Fire, and there's these cars, okay, but it's not really, like, a car movie. There's one fucking car in the whole movie. There's, yeah, there's a, yeah, yeah, pretty much, and there's, there's a bus, and some bicycles, <laughs> motorcycles. Oh, there's some cop cars, which are actually old Studebakers. <laughs> this would have been paired, paired well with something like The Outsiders, because it was really more like that. Yes, it was much more like, or Rumblefish. <laughs> <laughs> but, or, or The Warriors, if you want. Yeah, instead we've uh, paired it with Too Fast, Too Furious. And I'm not disappointed by this because that's a fun fucking movie. Hey, yep. So if you want to hear us enjoy this palate cleanser on the bonus episode when it airs, you know, for the price of 5pm donut shop coffee, only 99 cents a month, you can get access to the bonus episodes as they air. So yeah, make sure to subscribe to us on Spotify, Apple, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Uh, you can just follow our podcast or leave a review uh, or subscribe. For more episodes, check out our website, exploititpodcast.com. Follow us on Twitter at podcastexploit or contact us at exploititpodcast at gmail.com. So join us for our bonus episode, Too Fast, Too Furious. Uh, next week, we're doing stuff. Oh, yeah, we're doing uh, fucking canon films next week. <laughs> Till then. Oh,